brought to you by Calvary Bible Church in Burbank, California. We trust that this recording will be a benefit to you and will be a challenge to your Christian faith and walk. For more information about Calvary Bible Church, see our website at calvarybiblechurch.org or call us at 818-556-4840. Lord, we are so thankful, so thankful, Lord, the songs that we have sung that declare your holiness and your faithfulness and your love. Lord, I would just pray that we would, Father, understand those things just a little more, that we would gain a just a little more insight into who you are so that we would respond with praise and gratitude and worship. Lord, that we would love you as you have called us to and made us for. And Lord, I do pray and do ask on behalf of those uh, here today, Lord, that are uh, suffering, Lord, that are going through trials, maybe with their health, maybe issues in their family, in their home, maybe, Lord, sin in their own life that they're dealing with the consequences of or the, the guilt from. I pray, God, that you would do a work in every heart this morning, that as your word, Lord, is proclaimed, as we see what you have said, that, God, it would mold and shape and change us as we know that only the Bible can. We thank you for giving us this truth. We thank you for the privilege to have it, to be able to read it and study and, and learn. Pray, God, you would help us to apply all that we talk about this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're back in Ephesians. Uh, we're actually made it to the last chapter, Ephesians 6, this morning. We finished up from chapter 5 uh, last time we were in Ephesians, looking at God's design for marriage and His design for husbands and wives. And now we're going to be moving into another a key relationship in the home, and that is a relationship between parents and children. So if you could please stand with me as um, I read from Ephesians 6. I'll be beginning in verse 1. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Now, as I mentioned, we just left chapter 5. Paul gave a lot of instruction and information and explanation on essentially two commands in those 12 verses. Here, Paul gives four commands in four verses. He packs a lot more instruction in a much uh, denser and shorter fashion. And so we have a lot to look at, a lot to unpack here in, in regards to God's desire for children and for parents. So we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at these things from these verses. Paul begins with two commands to children, obey and honor your parents. Now, I came across an article this week that I found somewhat interesting, given our topic uh, this morning, and it was entitled, Six Reasons Why Demanding Obedience from a Child is Damaging. It's a rather provocative title, so I kept reading. Uh, let me just give you the six reasons and a little bit of the explanation that was given. Uh, demanding obedience from your child damages self-worth. When a child is made to do something with no choice or reasoning, their sense of self-worth is affected. They must override their own needs to do that which, is, which the commanding person expects. Secondly, it instills shame. A child has no say over their own body and choices 
will feel ashamed over and over again. Being told they must do something in a certain way, imposed by someone else, causes emotional pain. Disobedience, a demand for disobedience is set up for bullying, the third reason. Parents often demand a child follow orders and then threaten with consequences and punishment in the name of obedience. A child is going to come to believe that relationships then are built on a foundation of demands and threats and may turn into a bully himself. Demanding obedience, fourthly, also hinders critical thinking. Children are not allowed to think and reason for themselves. Fifthly, demanding obedience kills trust between a parent and child. Ultimately, the child will not feel good about what they did. Why should a child want to do something to please their parent if it comes at a cost of feeling bad or unworthy or deflated? And lastly, they say, demand for uh, obedience hinders the development of self-discipline because the parent is continually having to remind the child what to do. So instead, the authors say that uh, parents need to give their children choices. They need to respect their individuality. Parents need to avoid confrontation, to change the expectations of what their child can or should do. Parents are only to create a cooperative, positive environment rather than one that asserts any sort of authority. But what does that, how does that reflect on what God has said in Ephesians 6.1? Children, obey your parents. It's a simple mandate from God Himself that children are to follow. And God made children, right? He made parents. He created marriage. He created family. He created all these things. He knows how it works. And in His wisdom, this is how He has decided the home is to function. That children are to be under the authority of their parents. Now, it is true that an overbearing or unloving or harsh or angry demanding of obedience without grace or compassion, that, that will damage your children. That will cause harm. It will affect negatively how they view God and how they treat others. But the problem isn't in requiring obedience from them, is it? The issue is how we require that obedience and what kind of obedience is being required. This morning we're going to look at God's expectation of children. What does God mean when He says to obey and honor your parents? And since the article describes six reasons not to demand obedience, we're going to look at six aspects of God-honoring obedience. Six ways, six qualities of an obedience that brings honor to God and what He desires. And before we dive in, I want to remind you of something. Whether you are a child in the home or not, whether you have children or not, whether you are young or old, this text is beneficial for you, right? Remember the passage we looked at last week? 2 Timothy 3.16 said what? All or every scripture is inspired, God-breathed, and is adequate, is profitable, good, beneficial for you, that you may be equipped to do every good work. And truth shouldn't always matter to a believer, right? Any truth that God has spoken should matter. And even more importantly than that, we as a body are to disciple one another, aren't we? We are as a body to help one another to observe, to obey the teachings that Christ has given And so we need to understand what God has said to everyone in the body so that we can help one another to follow through and to to obey and to submit to those instructions. Again, we disciple one another. And so we need to know what God has to say to children. We need to know what God has to say to parents, to men, to women, to the young, to the old, to those serving in any capacity. We need to heed Paul's words here. And I think as we go through this passage, you're going to find that there is more here that applies to you than you initially realize. 
So let's get to the text. This passage in Ephesians 6 is part of a section that Paul began back in 515. If you remember, the theme of this section was to walk in wisdom. And then in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says to be filled by his spirit and then gives five outcomes of being filled by his spirit. The fifth outcome is given in verse 21 of chapter 5, which was to submit to one another, to have a mutual humility towards one another. And that's when Paul dove into this section in the home, beginning in 522, where he addressed uh, marriage, and now he's addressing uh, children and parents, and then he's going to talk about uh, slaves and masters in the next section. But these are all under the, the, uh, the umbrella of being filled by a spirit and what it looks like in being mutually submissive to one another. And so in Ephesians 6, verse 1, Paul begins addressing children. He addressed wives in 5.22, and he addressed husbands in 5.25. And here he simply says children. Now, children can refer to uh, not only infant, all the way from infants into adulthood, depending on the context. In fact, back in Ephesians 2.3 and 5.1 and 5.8, children there was in reference to adults. But here Paul is specifically addressing children who are still in the home, given his instruction that he gives to fathers in verse 4 in regards to their parenting of these children. And Paul here again, he gives two simple direct commands. What are they? Again, to obey and to honor your parents. But what does he mean by that? What does God expect? What does that honor look like? What does obedience that honors God look like? Obey here comes from the root word, which means to listen. In fact, the Proverbs 4 that Alvin read from earlier had that repeated off. My son, listen. My son, hear. It's a common way in the Old Testament to say, not only do I want you to to hear and listen to what I'm saying, but to respond. One of Jesus' common sayings was, he who has ears to hear, let him, what? Hear. And Jesus didn't simply mean just listen to what I'm telling you, but also respond, follow, obey what I'm giving you. In fact, every use of this verb to obey in the New Testament, but one has the idea of to be subject to, to follow one's instruction, to do what one is being asked. I don't think it takes a, a, a lot of explanation of what obedience means. You understand what obey means, right? And there's more to God honoring obedience, though, than just doing what you're told, isn't there? Just following the instruction isn't enough. That isn't all that God is requiring. That isn't all that he is asking for. A child can follow the instruction they've been given, but still not be obeying, right? Pause means, right? Yes, thank you. The issue is what kind of obedience does God expect? What will glorify him in the end? So I want to identify for you six aspects of God-honoring obedience. And the first aspect is God-honoring obedience is obedience i didn't stutter there the only kind of obedience that honors god is to obey to do the instruction that you've been given completely not partially to do all that was ordered all that was commanded we again got we have to go back to our illustration of king saul and the bleeding sheep incident in first samuel 15 right Most of you are familiar with that story that God wanted to bring judgment on the Amalekites and so he chose the Israelites to be the instrument of that judgment. He told Saul through Samuel, you are to go and completely destroy all the Amalekites and all their livestock, everything that they have. God's patience had run out. And so Saul, he went off and what did he do? Did he kill all of the Amalekites? Almost. 
He just left one, the king. Did he wipe out all the livestock? Almost, right? Most, most, except for the best of the sheep and the oxen, which, by the way, they were going to sacrifice to the Lord. So when Samuel comes, did, did, did God commend Saul for his actions? Did God say, you know, Saul, I really appreciate the effort you put in and you, you killed, you did almost all that I told you to do. And I, I know it was difficult and a tough command. So I, I really appreciate that, your effort. Was that God's response? No. What did Samuel say? Saul, why did you disobey? Why did you not do what God had called you to do? You see, to God, partial obedience is not obedience. Even though Saul did mostly what he was instructed to do, he did not do completely what he was instructed to do. And in God's eyes, that is disobedience. Saul said, well, I, I, I did obey, right? But the people, they, they kept the sheep in the auction and, and oxen. And besides, uh, our heart was in the right place. We were, had a good motive in wanting to keep this stuff. Or at least that's what Saul said. But Samuel said, Saul, no, to obey To obey is better than sacrifice. Not doing all you were told is disobedience. And children, youth, there's a critical lesson for you here. When your parents tell you to clean up your room and you don't clean up all of it, that's not obedience. When you're given a curfew to be home by 11 and you're you're home after midnight and you say, well, I was only an hour late. Well, that's not obedience. That's not following the instruction that you were given. When you're told to finish all the food on your plate and you you leave some, that's not obeying. When you're asked to do your chores or your homework more than one time, it's not obeying. If you stop doing something, you're told to stop doing something and you, you do it just one more time and then you stop, that's still not obedience. It's disobedience. And parents, you need to... Remind yourselves, if your children knowingly do not do what you have asked them to do, it's disobedience. And I'm simply amazed today at what I see parents letting their children get away with. And I'm not just talking about parents outside of our church. When your child does not do what you tell them to do the first time, parents, is that obedience or disobedience? It's disobedience. When your child says no, have they obeyed you or disobeyed? It's disobedience. If your child does not do exactly what you told them to do, and you know they understood you, that's disobedience. If your child throws a tantrum, or whines, or complains when you give them instruction, that is not obedience, even if they do what you told them to do. When your child delays, and they do it on their own timetable rather than yours, It's not obedience, parents. When your child disobeys like that, don't keep repeating yourself. Don't make excuses for them. Don't threaten them or yell louder. Don't reason with them or try to explain yourself. Don't ignore it. What you need to do is you calmly but firmly let your child know that they are not obeying and that it's not honoring to the Lord. God has put you there to help them be obedient, to help them understand what obedience is to look like. So you need to bring a consequence into their life. And we'll talk about that later. But you need to bring a consequence that will help remind them the next time they're given an instruction what the response is called to be. 
when my kids were little, I would teach them this idea through a little training exercise that, that I would do with them. And what I would do is, you know, and I'm talking young here, you know, two or three, I would call them to come to me. And what I would do is, you know, after we got over what that meant and kind of working that through, um, then I would give them a specific place I would want them to stand or sit. Because I wanted them to be clear what the instruction was they were being given. And so as I would train them to do that, and then when I realized and understood or knew that they understood me, if they didn't stand in that specific spot or sit in that specific place, they received a consequence for that. Now, this wasn't some power trip I was on to show my authority. And so I'm, I'm the boss. I can do what I say. I'm not going to be picky with this. I was trying to teach them specifically. Obedience means do exactly what you've been asked to do. Because we don't give God partial obedience, do we? Well, actually, we do, but we shouldn't, right? When God gives an instruction, we don't decide what part of that instruction we're going to follow. We don't determine, okay, God, I'll, I'll wipe out most of the Amalekites. I'll, I'll take out most of the livestock. No, we, we need to do exactly what God has called us to do. It's dishonoring to Him otherwise. And as a parent, we need to teach our children what obedience is to look like. Again, not because we're on a power chip or trying to exert authority, but to help them understand what God expects. And I see too many parents today who are either inconsistent or or lazy or maybe ignorant of what God expects in terms of real obedience. But remember, parents, remember children, the one command that God has given to children is to what? It's to obey. The one thing that God requires from you children is simply to obey your parents, to submit to their authority. That's the one thing that God expects from them. And you need to honor the Lord, parents, by holding your kids accountable to God's expectation. And I know it's inconvenient. I know it can be very tiring, especially when they are little. I understand that consequences are not fun to give. I understand that your child will not make it easy for you but difficult. But mom and dad, do not water down God's standard. Do not let them get away with it. You're not helping your child when you do that. What you're teaching them is that obedience is optional or obedience is determined by what I think I should be doing. And you know what's going to happen? They will transfer that concept to how they're supposed to respond to God. That if you teach them obedience to your authority can be done when they feel like it or can be done with a bad attitude or or can be partially done, you're teaching them when God says to obey Him, they're going to do the same thing. It's so important that we hold them to God's standard and not let them build bad habits of partial or non-obedience. And please, don't make excuses for your child. Don't say, well, they just aren't feeling good today or, or that's just their personality or, you know, they're only a toddler or, well, that's teenagers for you or, well, you know, they have ADHD. And so, you know, that's the world's approach to excuse sin and not call it sin. In fact, uh, DSM-4, which is a psychology manual, lists a condition they call oppositional defiant disorder, ODD. Let's let you think about that a minute. Children who have ODD, they describe, are often disobedient. They are easily angered and may seem to be angry much of the time. Very young children with the disorder will throw temper tantrums that last for 30 minutes or longer. The child with ODD often starts arguments and will not give up. 
Attempting to reason with such a child often backfires because the child perceives rational discussion as a continuation of the argument. It is usual for such children to blame all their problems on others. They are impatient and intolerant of others. You know what? I I think that really describes every one of us in this room at one time or another. So I'm here to tell you, you all suffer from ODD. You know, and I understand the point here. I understand that they're trying to identify, you know, more extreme conditions and things like that. But in the end, they're not doing what the Bible calls us to do, and that is to call sin, sin. Disobedience is sin. Disobedience is rebellion against God. It is to not do what God has called us to do. And we are to never dress it up like something else. We are especially never to let our children see it as something else. We are to be as David was in Psalm 51, who said against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. We're never to put the blame on somebody else. James 1 talks about that, that we're carried away and enticed by our own lust. And so we need to recognize and understand that God-honoring obedience is obedience. And secondly, God-honoring obedience is consistent. If you'll notice in Ephesians 6 and verse 1, the command to obey and the command to honor, both of those are in the present tense, which simply means that they are meant to be followed continuously. It's an ongoing action. It's not a one-time event. We're to help our children be consistent in response to our instruction, no matter if they are young or even as they grow older. And again, all of us have good weeks and bad weeks. So do our kids. There are times when they may show progress and then revert back in certain areas in their lives. And so you need to stay the course with them. You need to help them and be consistent and hold the same standard and not change. They need that boundary to be maintained and not move that you have placed around them. And I know as they get older, it gets more difficult. It gets harder to do, harder to hold them to the same standards of obedience as when they were younger. They get better at arguing their way out of things. In fact, as Ted Tripp likes to say, when they hit 10 or 11, they become experienced Philadelphia lawyers. They get very good at coming up with reasons why your instruction makes no sense or why they shouldn't follow it in the way that you have told them to follow it. They can be hurtful in how they respond to you. They can make it difficult just in general. But brothers and sisters, you cannot become lax. Grandparents, you cannot become lax. God calls your children, to obey their parents. Children, God calls you to obey your parents, not just when you feel like it, not just a few times, not just when you're young. If you're living in your parents' home, children or youth, you're under their authority. You're called to do what they tell you to do. The God of creation, in fact, is commanding you to do what your parents have told you to do. And unless your parents tell you to sin which is pretty rare, you have to do what they say. You have to obey them completely. Thirdly, God-honoring obedience, notice, is to both parents. In verse 1, he says, Obey your parents, plural. Honor your father and your mother. It isn't sufficient if a child is only responding to one parent. Obedience means that whether the instruction comes from mom or comes from dad, that instruction is followed. So guys, if you have a child that is not obeying your wife, you need to step in and correct that. 
And guys, do not blame your wives. Don't say, well, it's my wife's fault. My child doesn't obey her. Disobedience is a sin. And sin is never, ever the responsibility of someone else. The Bible never, never gives an excuse. Well, I understand you sin because of this other person, that they caused you to sin. Again, James 1 says that our own flesh, our own lusts carry us away and entice us to sin. You can never blame somebody else. Right, John? You can never blame Becky for when you speak angrily at her, it wasn't her fault, right? Okay, thank you. First service, the guy said, what? What? No, it isn't our spouse's fault. And guys, it isn't your wife's fault when your child sins against them. Yes, we can tempt our children to sin and we can put them in circumstances that make it more possible for them to sin. But we are never, ever responsible for their disobedience. And guys, you need to take ownership. Don't leave it for your wife to try to fix it. You need to step in. God has put you in that role and that position to be the authority in your home. Or if you're allowing your children not to obey you, you need to step in and take ownership. We are to lead in our home. It's not our wife's problem. It's our problem. And this goes for step-parents as well. Both the husband and the wife are both authorities in the home. And any child that's living in the home must obey and respect and honor both parents, whether they are blood-related or not. So there should never be this, well, he's your son or she's my daughter. Jesus lived under a stepfather, didn't he? He did. Joseph was his stepdad. And Jesus clearly, it says in Luke 2, submitted himself to the authority of his mother and his stepfather. We need to... Ensure that our kids follow that example. And kids, it's the same to you. If you have a stepmother or stepfather, you need to obey them. You need to to respect and honor them. You're in their home. They are the authority in the home. And you're not to go to your other parent. If your step-parent gives you an instruction and you don't like it, you don't run to your other parent to try to get another answer. You need to do what you've been instructed to do. And, you know, many of us have blended homes. I understand that. I grew up in a blended home. My parents divorced when I was young. And I know it takes effort and it takes time to build the trust that is necessary to have this kind of, of, uh, of situation and, and going on in the home. But the only way, it's the only way that will work. It's the way that God has designed it to work. That a husband and a wife are the authority in the home and any child that is in that home is under that authority. So be working to that end. And again, I know it is difficult and takes Time, but you need to be working towards this as a goal. This is God honoring obedience to obey both parents. A fourth quality of God honoring obedience is that it is to the Lord. Paul says in verse 1 obey your parents in the Lord. And what he means by that is that obedience to parents is to be seen as obedience to Jesus. Paul has mentioned this principle several times in this passage regarding the home. Look back at 522 where Paul says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Or in 525, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Or in 6.5, Slaves, obey your masters as to Christ. Or again in verse 7 of chapter 6, Slaves, render service to your master as to the Lord. It's a very clear principle that Paul is communicating within these verses, and that is that God is the one that has put the authorities in our lives. God is the one that has established parents as the authority in the home. 
He is the one that has determined how that is to work. If you remember back in Romans 13, we looked at that several months ago before the election in regards to instruction, how how we are to respond to government authorities. Let me read that text to you again. I think it has some principles that are important to remember in regards to the home. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever risks resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. Now, again, in Romans 13, Paul is speaking specifically regarding governing authorities, but he is communicating principles that are true for all authority. All authority has been established by God. All authority has been put there by God, and we are to submit to that authority. Young people, kids, you need to listen to this. God is the one who gave you the parents you have. God is the one who puts you in the home that you're in. He's the one that's decided who your mom and your dad are going to be. And your parents are the authority, and He expects you to follow them. He expects you to obey them. You need to see your obedience not just as to your parents, but ultimately as to God Himself. He is the one that calls you to obey. You know, it's pretty insightful if you look at the Old Testament and look at some of the things, the expectations God had for how children are to honor their parents and some of the consequences if they chose not to. In Deuteronomy 27, verse 16, says, Cursed is he who dishonors his father or mother. Exodus 21, He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He who curses... That is to treat with contempt or shame. He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Deuteronomy 21. If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and even when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them, then all the men of the city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst. Now, I'm not endorsing that we carry a pile of stones in the front of the church and But I think what it does communicate here is the seriousness, the importance, the gravity to God of our obedience, of our children's obedience. It is so important to Him that He would deem such serious consequences. Romans 1.30, 2 Timothy 3.2, they list in those two passages, list disobedient to parents as part of a list of several sins that those who are in deep and overt rebellion against God carry out. So children, obeying your parents is a big deal. It's a big deal to God. It's important to Him. And as you young people move into your teen years and young adulthood and you're still in the home, there are going to be rules, there are going to be instructions that, not, that don't seem to make sense to you, that you don't like, that, that is something that is not something you want to do. They may seem unfair. In fact, sometimes they will be unfair. Let's just be honest. Parents are not perfect. So you will have instructions that you don't want to do. But that doesn't give you an excuse not to do them. And in those moments, when you're given that instruction and that command, and you're tempted not to do it, or you're tempted to talk back, or you're, you're tempted to argue about it, what you need to do is think of yourself as doing that to the face of God. Because that's ultimately what you're doing. 
Picture yourself as, as essentially rebelling against him, defying his choice. Because God is the one that's given you those parents, and they're the ones giving you that instruction. And parents, it is a big deal to God that your children obey you. And you need to remember something, though. You are there as God's agent, as his delegate. You don't have authority that is yours because you have acquired it. It is something that God has given to you. He's given you a task and a position. And your children are to obey you, not for your sake, but for God's. So ultimately, you're his agent. You've been put there. You're given that authority by someone else. Just as the Roman centurion said to Jesus, right? I am a man under authority. So too, you are one under authority. You can't let your child do as he or she pleases. You can't let disobedience go or or treat it flippantly. God has not given you the freedom to decide what disobedience looks like. It's not your decision ultimately. You are simply there as a representative. You are simply there as a delegated authority from God in your child's life. And you need to take that seriously. And it works the other direction too. As you teach your children respect for authority, as you teach them what obedience truly looks like, they will naturally understand and develop a respect for God's authority. What you're doing in that is you're actually tenderizing the soil of their heart so that as they learn and understand that God expects to be honored and respected and obeyed, that they'll know what that looks like. And they'll be more inclined to be repentant. They'll be more inclined to have their conscience pricked when they disobey God. Again, this is all a work of God. I I understand that. But we can do great harm if we don't help our children to be obedient, respectful in the home. And on the other side of it, we can do great good in teaching our children what obedience looks like, what honor looks like. You provide fertile ground for the gospel in doing so. There's a fifth aspect of God honoring obedience, and that is that it is respectful. Because again, God isn't just concerned about the action, right? He's also concerned about the attitude. It isn't just complying with the letter of the law, but also the spirit of the law. You remember the Pharisees, right? They were known for their meticulous keeping of the law. At least that was the impression that they gave the people. But in Mark 7, verse 6, Jesus says to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. See, God doesn't just care about what people do, does he? He cares also about the manner and the motive in which they do it. And that's why Paul adds a second command in Ephesians 6, verse 2, where he says, honor your father and your mother. That word honor means to revere, to respect, to value, to show high regard for. Because again, obedience isn't just about doing what you're told. It's about the attitude in which you do it. I I remember a parent telling me one time, you may have heard this or something like it, where they were, uh, one of their children was younger and they kept standing in their chair at dinner, refused to sit down. And and so the parent uh, uh, takes the child out and, and disciplines him and then seats him back in the chair. Child does sit down, but this is the proclamation that the child makes. I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. So the child got a little more instruction after that. But right, at least the child was honest. 
But kids, if you're in a situation where, where your parents give you an instruction, and maybe you carry that instruction out, but the whole time you're complaining in your heart, you're angry about it, you're bitter, you're resentful, you're not obeying. That's not obedience. It isn't just doing what you've been called to do. It is also the way in which you do it. And you may be able to hide that attitude from your parents. But guess what? There's an all-seeing and all-knowing God that does see it. And to Him you haven't obeyed. You haven't obeyed if your heart is in rebellion. Or if you're just doing it to get your parents off your back. You're tired of them telling you to do that responsibility or chore or whatever it is. And so you just obey because you don't want to hassle, be hassled with it. Or if you don't do all that you were asked, that you cut corners. Your parents said to clean things up and you throw some of it under your bed. Or take out the trash. You don't do all of it knowingly. That's not obedience. Or if you take your time and your parents remind you of it. That's not obeying. That's not the heart of obedience. That's not valuing or respecting your parents and the instruction that they've given you. True obedience means that you will honor them. It's, it's not just complying with some rule you've been given. If that's all God cared about, then, you know, then just obey and don't, don't worry about your attitude. But God does care about it. He cares that you have an internal desire to honor God by obeying Him completely, obeying Him promptly, and with a good attitude. And folks, this applies to all of us, doesn't it? And how we respond to our Lord, our obedience. He isn't just interested in you fulfilling, doing the commands only, but the manner in which you do them. I remember a friend of ours, um, she taught a two-year-old class in her church for a number of years up in Idaho, and she had this little ditty that she would teach the kids that I really thought was helpful. It was a good, uh, memorable device, but she would kind of sing it to the kids, obey all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. And that was one thing she would uh, teach them each week, obey all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. You parents of younger kids, that's a good little thing to teach them. That, that really does cover the principles of God honoring obedience. Whenever they fuss or whenever they delay or whenever they don't do what you've asked them to do, just sweetly remind them, honey, you need to obey all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. Now, as the kids get older, that may be kind of, they may not think that's cool. So come up with something else. Um, we used to have this saying in our home, QCC, you need to obey quickly, completely, and cheerfully. And you come up with your own thing, but the point is, is that when you give instruction to your children, just as when God gives us instruction, they need to do it completely, they need to do it right away, they need to do it joyfully with a good attitude. That's how God expects us to obey Him. And we owe the Lord not only a compliant hand, but also a compliant heart, right? Honor me not just with your lips. The sixth aspect of God honoring obedience is that it brings blessing. It's interesting here as you look at Ephesians 6. Notice how Paul brings in this positive encouragement. How he talks about that, obey your parents in the Lord for this is what? For this is right. This is a good thing. This is something that is pleasing to God. In fact, in Colossians 3.20, Paul says, Children, obey, be obedient to your parents, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And so parents, when you, when you teach your kids about o- obedience, when you talk to them about this or give them an instruction, don't just tell them, well, it's because I said so, or God has put me in the authority and you have to obey. 
I mean, th- those are true statements. But notice Paul's approach here when he says, you know, help them to see this is a good thing. It is good to have authority in our lives. It is good to have boundaries. Right? If, if there wasn't boundaries in your home and you had a, you know, an older sibling that liked to beat you up and we just let the older sibling beat you up, is that a good thing? Oh, no. Right? Give them some examples as to why having laws are good. <laughs> why authority is good. Right? We appreciate the fact that we have governing authorities and, and police and those to make sure that laws are being abided by because when some people disobey those laws, it can affect us. Also, too, Paul talking about here that it is right is because it reflects the character of God. That he always does what is right. Because remember, again, Jesus himself willingly put himself under the authority of his parents. Notice, too, God says he will richly bless. Ephesians 6.2 says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth again paul points out quoting here the fifth commandment obedience is a good thing god likes it he's pleased with it and he rewards it by obeying you put yourself under god's favor now there's some discussion as to what paul means here by the first commandment with a promise i won't get into all of that but um, this idea is basically that this is the first command that has a, a promise attached to it the second commandment does have further uh, instruction that god gives to obey because he's a jealous god to not have idols and um, things like that not to worship them but this uh, this fifth commandment is the first one that Paul gives of all the law where he attaches this promise to do it so that, or in order that, you would be blessed. And notice the contents of the promise. A full and blessed life. A life that is good. Life that is long. If you compare Ephesians 6.3 with Deuteronomy 5.16, which is where I think Paul is quoting from, you'll notice that Paul changed the phrase in Deuteronomy 5, which says, in the land which God gives you, And here in Ephesians 6, he just simply said, on the earth. I think that's recognizing the audience here. In Deuteronomy 5, it was the people of Israel who were going to receive the promise of the land. But here in Ephesians 6, he's speaking to Gentiles. They don't have the promise of the land of Israel given to them, but, but the principle still applies, that they will be blessed with a full and long life on the earth. Now, there are some cases, right, where the Lord does determine in his sovereign plan to take the life of someone who is young. This is a general principle that's being communicated here, an idea that that obedience to parents puts the child in the realm of God's protection, puts them in the realm of his blessing, puts them in the realm of his reward. But a child who chooses disobedience, they take themselves outside of that blessing. And and again, parents emphasize this, focus on this, that it is a good thing when you obey mom and dad. That that God is pleased with that, that there's reward and blessing for that. In fact, that's the whole point of the book of Proverbs. Remember what Alvin read earlier, where it said, hear my son or listen my son. I think my son is mentioned at least three times in that proverb. If you look at all the, the Proverbs, especially the first nine chapters, you will see that. It was really a, a meant to be a, a, a book primarily written for young people. Over and over again, Solomon indicates the blessings, the positive outcomes when, when, children, when children obey. He also talks a lot about the harsh and severe consequences when we don't. 
As Alvin read from Proverbs 4, Hear my son, in verse 10, that's that idea, Listen to me, accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to all their body. Simply put, you can ask your kids, Kids, do you want to have a rich and joyful life? Do you want to have a life that's full of blessing? That's full of many days. Then God says simply to obey your parents. And all through the Proverbs, we see the blessings and rewards of diligence, of of kindness, of wisdom, of purity and gentleness, of self-control and generosity, integrity, obedience. And at the same time, Solomon writes of the consequences of laziness and selfishness and greed and anger and pride and immorality, disobedience, rejecting God. Proverbs really is a, a great book because it describes how God has wired this world, what, how life works, what life is like. And it's definitely something that you kids need to be reading every day. And it's something you parents need to study and understand and bring into your instruction of your children. It's very important. And kids, if you would just take a, a chapter each day and maybe one verse from that chapter... And think about it and and decide and determine how it applies to your life and how you can apply it that day. If you do that on a consistent basis, you will be saved from a lot of pain and heartache. Parents, help your kids. Get them in Proverbs. It's really something God has provided for you to help in your parenting. So as we look at this, God-honoring blessing. God-honoring obedience, I mean. God-honoring obedience is obedience... It is respectful, it is consistent, it is to both parents, it is as to the Lord, and it is a blessing. It is a blessing. Now there's an important question that, um, to consider here before we leave this passage, and that is what relevance, if any, does it have for grown children? Most of us in this room are in that category. Some of us may still act like children, but we are all grown children. Just kidding. Um, how does it apply to us? Is there anything here that we can take away as grown children? Well, a few verses earlier in Ephesians 5.31, Paul said, and he quotes from Genesis 2.24, he says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Well, that passage is speaking on marriage. And that passage shows that at marriage, there is a change in the authority structure in the home. A son leaves his parents and leaves the authority of his parents to lead in his own home. Uh, A daughter, she also leaves the authority of her parents to come under the authority of her husband in this new home that has been established. But what's interesting is though they are not required to obey, they are still required, we are still required to honor. In fact, that is something that never goes away. From birth to death, you are to honor your parents. In fact, turn to Mark 7. I want us to see this. Jesus makes this point as he is confronting the Pharisees. I read from a, uh, quoted a verse earlier from Mark 7. Background here is the Pharisees have, have seen the disciples not doing the ceremonial washing of their hands before they ate. Now, this ceremonial washing wasn't something that was in the Bible. It wasn't something God had commanded. This was something that some rabbis a few hundred years earlier had instituted. 
And so the Pharisees, they notice that the disciples, they say, why do they not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And that's when in verse 6, Jesus says the following, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He then goes on to point out their hypocrisy. Look at verse 9. And look especially at the example he gives that shows their hypocrisy. You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is korban. That is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you've handed down. And you do many things such as these. Right? Jesus was condemning the Pharisees here because what they were doing was essentially not caring for their parents. And they were telling other people, hey, you know what? You need to provide for the church. You need to provide for uh, the ministry. And so if you uh, have some money and, and, you know, you you should tell your parents, I can't help you out because this money is devoted to God. Little sidebar, by the way, the money that went to the temple, guess where the Pharisees got their salary from? Now, I'm not questioning their motives, but, you know, right? Jesus says, hey, wait a minute. You're telling people not to care for their parents in the name of God. You're invalidating the law. You're disobeying God's direct command to honor parents. Again, he's speaking to grown men here. And he's still saying, you need to honor your parents. You need to teach and encourage others to do that. No matter how old, especially as your parents get older, they need you. They need you. Care for them. Jesus expects that adult children continue to honor their parents. And here the specific application he gives is in terms of when they have needs to be provided for, either financially or otherwise. This is an important text for us. 1 Timothy 5.4, Paul says in regards to widows, if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regards to their own family and to make some return for their parents. For this is acceptable or pleasing or welcome in the sight of God. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? Pretty direct. We're to care for our parents. And our culture tends, though, to discard the aged tends to institutionalize them, get them out of the way, because it's inconvenient. It costs money. It costs time. It costs effort to take care of parents who are aging or having health problems. But we need to do that. Now, I know in some cases that their health condition or something is you're unable to do what's needed to be done to help them. And and I understand that. but, But please give serious prayer and consideration to the needs of your elderly parents. And if... You were young, your parents are still young. This is a great opportunity to make preparation for that day because it will come. It will come where your parents are going to need you. And wasn't this a chief concern of our Savior? Of the few things that he said and did upon the cross, what was one of them he did in regards to his mom? John, 
Can you take care of my mom when I'm gone? Jesus honored his mother even in his last moments of his life. We need to follow that instruction. And as grown children, you can honor your parents in this way and and many other ways too. honor them in how you speak to them, how you treat them, how you spend time with them. And I know some parents or in-laws can be quite challenging. I understand that. But but God expects us to value them. He expects us to respect them. Even if that means we'll be offended or sinned against. And this is all the more important if you have parents who don't know the Lord. Honoring them can be a great testimony and example to them. And one other thing too is remember, you are teaching your children what honor looks like by how you honor your parents. So just, just for your own good and reward, think about that. It's important that we give honor to our parents, even as grown children. And this brings me to a final thought, and that is that you can help your child greatly to obey and to understand and to, to carry out God-honoring obedience by your example. What do they see from you and how you submit to authorities? When you talk about the government or church leaders or uh, the police or those in authority over you, what do your children hear? What tone do they hear? Men, do you, what example do you give in regards to how you respond to your employer, to your boss? Ladies, how do your children see you respond to your husband or those in authority over you? And I didn't say fathers and mothers specifically here because this is something all of us need to remember and recognize, that we are all to be an example to the children in this church of what it looks like to have God-honoring obedience and submission. Because they don't watch just their parents. They watch us all. And we need to remember, again, we disciple one another as a body. This is a way you can come alongside children and help them by your own example. Everybody hearing me on this? You're still with me? Well, one last thing. There's an important contextual detail in Ephesians 6 that I have left out up to this point. It has to do with the children Paul's speaking to here. Are they saved? Are they unsaved? Or is he speaking to both? Now, in this context, he's specifically speaking to saved children. Because again, it comes out of verse 18 from chapter 5. And these are to be filled by the Spirit. And and what is to flow out of that life? He's speaking to believers here, believers in the home. That brings up an important question. So does this mean that everything we've talked about so far doesn't apply to my unsaved kid? What does God require from an unsaved child in the home? As a parent, am I supposed to hold them to the same commands and expectations of obedience that God has for saved children? Aren't I just to be telling them the gospel rather than conforming them to some external standard of obedience? I mean, I don't want to teach them to be Pharisees and hypocrites and just obey the law on the outside if they're not saved. These are important questions. And I would say this. Yes, they are required to follow the same standard of obedience. And yes, you are telling them the gospel by holding them to that standard. Let me explain what I mean next week talk about this it's important very important i will say this though the goal of parenting is not behavior change it's heart change the purpose in parenting isn't to lead your child to a morally good life it's to lead them to the savior we'll talk about that again next time we get together let's pray
Lord, I thank you for your word. I, I pray, Lord, that there's nothing that I have said that is inconsistent with your truth. Lord, I pray that, God, anything that's been spoken that does reflect your word that would be remembered, anything, Lord, that does not reflect which is your heart that would be forgotten. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church, as parents, Lord, to help our children honor you in their obedience. And I pray for our children, Lord, that they would be a light to this world, what it looks like in the home to love you and obey their parents. And I pray, Lord, for those children who don't know you, that through this whole process of teaching them what obedience looks like and what you expect, that they would see their need for Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would work in all of us to be obeying you and honoring you in that obedience by not only doing what you've called us to do, but also having an attitude that's glorifying to you as well. You deserve our love in every way, from our whole being, from our heart, from our mind, from our soul, and with all our strength. We thank you, Lord, for all you've given. In Jesus' precious name, amen.